0: Beloved, do you know that God intends to share his very life with you? That's what you were made for, actually. It's easy in the midst of the difficulty of life in this world, in the midst of the difficulty of all the work that we need to do to pay the bills and cook the food that we need to eat and write the term papers that we need Uh, to write and raise the children that need our care and keep up the friendships that are difficult at times and do all the things that life seems to require of us. It's sometimes easy to forget what it is that we're actually made for. And this is what you were made for, beloved. To commune with God. To share communion with the one who has made you. Even though we have sinned and fallen short of God's glory and even though our whole lives are full of the horror of sin and the sins of those around us, still God refuses to give up on this project of this intention that he has to share his life with us. And so the Son of God has come and become man. He has died in our place. He has conquered the grave in his resurrection And by his Holy Spirit, he now draws us into this union with himself so that he can share his life with us, so that he can share himself with you, because that is what you were made for. Behold, see what kind of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children. Of God the way in which God shares his life with us even now in this present life it's actually known to us it's not hidden from us God has told us that he means to give us Jesus he means to give us his son in three primary ways in our life in this world in the word that is, in the scriptures, in the sacraments, that is, in baptism, in the Lord's Supper, and in prayer. Beloved, this is actually how, in this life, God intends to share His life with you, how He communes with you. Word, sacrament, and prayer. You do not participate in those things so that you can be some kind of good Christian and a good moral person and whatever. No, the reason... We do those things, the reason we structure our life around them is so that God will commune with us because these are the great treasures of the Christian life, word, sacrament, and prayer. These are the means by which, as the Apostle Peter writes, we become partakers of the divine nature. These means of grace are the channels by which God in Jesus Christ through the power and presence of his spirit shares his very life with us and my desire as a church is that our life would always always be centered around centered around these means of grace and that the years that you spend as a member of our church you would grow more and more to love the word to love the sacraments to love prayer That's why we do the things we do on Sunday morning. That's why we do the things we do during the week. Because these are the gifts of God for you. And they are meant to be at the heart of our life with Him. Last Advent season, a year ago, we spent four sermons together considering how God communes with us in prayer and how we commune with Him. This Advent season, I plan for us to spend four sermons considering how God communes with us in the Lord's Supper. This holy meal that we participate in every Lord's Day, this sacrament that binds us to Jesus himself in a way that we desperately need. And I want to begin our discussion of the Lord's Supper this morning by reading again from the Scriptures, reading a portion of the New Testament text that Jeff read a few minutes ago from 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 to 4 and 14 to 16. Listen carefully now, friends, to the words of the Apostle. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud, and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people, Judge for yourselves what I say. This cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation, a koinonia, a communion, in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation, a koinonia, a communion, in the body of Christ? Thus far the reading of God's Word. It is absolutely true and it is given to you because your father in heaven loves you let's pray heavenly father i ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our thought of our thoughts and our hearts would be uh, found pleasing in your sight we ask this through jesus christ our rock and redeemer amen John Calvin, in a wonderfully evocative phrase, wrote 500 years ago that our souls have no other pasture than Jesus Christ. Our souls have no other pasture than Jesus Christ. Calvin here is playing with the image that the scripture gives us where we are like sheep. And he's saying that there's no food for the people of God, no food for their souls other. Than Jesus Himself. Our souls have no other pasture than Jesus Christ. In other words, according to Calvin, Jesus is not only our good shepherd who leads us to green pastures, He is also the pasture itself. He is Himself the green grass that we feed on, He is Himself the cool stream that we drink from. Jesus, Calvin is saying, is himself our food and our nourishment and our sustenance. Indeed, he is our only food, the only nourishment and sustenance that will give us life. All other pastures, Calvin is saying, are barren for our souls. In other words, Calvin is saying, as Paul puts it in Colossians, and as we say a lot, in this church. He is saying, Christ is your life, friends. Christ is your life, and there is no other life than in him. Now, Jesus' own teaching bears this out to be true, what Calvin says. Remember in John 6, where Jesus feeds thousands of hungry men and women with just five loaves and two fish. They're so hungry in that story, and Jesus feeds them so abundantly that there are 12 baskets left over after they have all eaten and are satisfied. And then the next day, when those same people come to him again with their hungry bellies, Jesus says to them, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man, in other words, which I will give to you. Indeed, he said in that story, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. What Calvin is saying, what Paul is saying, what Jesus is saying then is this, beloved. If you are going to receive everlasting life, if you are going to be freed from your sin and made righteous before God, if you are going to grow in holiness and joy and maturity and wisdom, then you must do this. You must feed on Jesus. He must be the source of your life day by day, for your soul has no other pasture than Jesus Christ. There's nothing else you can feed upon... In this world that will give your soul life other than the one to whom the Father has granted life in himself, Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. And I have good news for you, beloved. The way that you feed upon Jesus is not unknown to you. It's not hidden. You don't have to climb a mountain to figure it out and ask a spiritual guru. No, one of the primary ways that Jesus does this, that he gives his life to you, is in this meal. In his own body and blood. In this sacrament that you partake of, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, that we call the Lord's Supper. Indeed, that's actually why we call it. lord's supper because in this meal the lord jesus himself gives himself to us that we might sup upon him that we might feed upon him it is his supper because he gives himself to us in this meal our westminster standards the theological standards of our church and denomination put it this way they say that in the lord's supper those who Partake of this meal feed upon Christ, crucified. And they are, quote, made partakers of Christ's body and blood with all his benefits to their spiritual nourishment. The Heidelberg Catechism, another classic Reformed document from the 16th century, says this. It says, in the supper, Christ himself, feeds and nourishes my soul to everlasting life with his crucified body and shed blood just as certainly as I receive from the hands of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and the cup as certain signs of the body and blood of Christ. The Heidelberg goes on even more to say that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are, quote, united more and more. I mean, think about that. That our union with Jesus actually grows deeper in this meal. We are actually united more and more to Jesus' sacred body by the Holy Spirit, who dwells both in Christ and in us, so that although he is in heaven and we are on earth, we are nevertheless flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. Or as Calvin puts it, he says, In the supper our souls are fed by the flesh and blood of Christ. In the same way that bread and wine keep and sustain physical life. For the analogy of the sign, Calvin says, applies only if souls actually find their nourishment in Christ in this meal, which cannot happen unless in this meal Christ truly grows into one with us and refreshes us, gives us life by the eating of his flesh and the drinking of his blood. In other words, friends, the Reformed view, the view of our church, our denomination, is that in this sacrament of the Lord's Supper that we partake of each Lord's Day, we not only remember the death of Jesus for our sin, we also actually, by the power of the Spirit, feed upon Christ himself as we eat the bread and drink the wine with one another. Now, the obvious question that, might be coming into your mind as you hear all these things that we believe about this sacrament regarding Christ's body and blood being offered to us in the Lord's Supper is how, right? How can this be possible? How can this be true? How does this mystery take place given that Jesus has a risen Everlasting, eternal body that is located in heaven, and I am located here on earth. And that is a significant question, and it's one that I promise you we will talk about in detail next week. But for this morning, I just want to simply stick with this assertion. That in the Lord's Supper, we believe that we really, truly do feed upon Christ's own body, and blood, that we do truly receive communion with him, a share with him in his own everlasting life. Indeed, in the Lord's Supper, we find, as Calvin puts it, that there is no other pasture for our souls than Jesus Christ. The bread and the wine are signs, yes, but they are also seals. Seals of Christ himself and all his benefits. But why do we believe this, scripturally speaking? Why do we believe that Jesus gives himself to us in this supper? That we feed upon him. First, we believe that we feed on Christ in the Lord's Supper because the whole story of the Bible is the story of how the God who made heaven and earth is also the God who feeds his people. Think about Genesis 1 and 2. This is what God has always been doing all throughout creation. He said to the man and woman after he made them, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth. You shall have them for food. And then God put the man and the woman in a garden that was full of trees, to give them life, to give them nourishment, to give them food. From the beginning, God not only created human beings, he also fed them as if from his own hand. And even after Adam and Eve rejected God's good gift, he continued still to feed his people. Think of Abraham returning from the battle and meeting this strange and mysterious figure, Melchizedek, that... Hebrews, tells us, is a forerunner of Jesus Christ. And what does Melchizedek do? He feeds Abraham. He gives Abraham bread and wine. Think of God's people in the wilderness after their exodus from Egypt as they cry out for hunger. And what does God do? He feeds them. With his own very hand, he gives them miraculous food, bread from heaven. Manna, each day, not enough to store up and put in a container for the next day, but each day they would wake up and find, oh, again, God fed us while we slept. God gave us food. Think of God feeding Elijah and his wilderness by means of ravens. Think of God feeding the widow um, with an everlasting supply of oil and flour, Think of God speaking to his people by the prophet Isaiah and telling them, stop trying to go after food that does not satisfy. Come to my table, the Lord says through Isaiah. To my table where I will feed you with wine and milk without money, without price. Where you will be satisfied by my hand. This is the narrative of the scriptures of the Old Testament, right? That God feeds his people, that they eat from his hand. And then in the midst of this great narrative, and the gospel narrative, something fascinating takes place. Jesus Christ, God's incarnate son, on the night before his death, sits at table with his disciples, and in their presence he takes bread. And after giving thanks to his father for the bread, he breaks it and he gives it to his disciples and he says, take, eat, this is my body. And he takes a cup also and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them also and said, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for many. For the forgiveness of sin. Beloved, do you see what Jesus is doing there in that meal that he shared with his disciples? Jesus, about as straightforwardly as he possibly could have, is stepping directly into the story that the scriptures have always told the story of how the God of Israel is the one who feeds his people with his own hand. And he is saying, no longer will God only feed you with fruit trees or with manna or with miraculous, wonderful bottles of oil. Now, no, he's saying, now, beloved, from now on, because of what I am doing in my life and death and resurrection, I, who am God and also man, I will actually now feed you with myself. I will actually feed you with my own body, my own blood. Jesus steps into that story and says, God is still going to feed you, but the nourishment now will be God himself. And so the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Not just by fighting off and rescuing them from the thief and the wolf. No, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep by becoming their very food and drink. And in this way, their souls will have no other pasture than in Him. That's what Jesus means when with bread in His hand, He says to the disciples, Take, eat, this is my body. That's what He means when He takes the cup and says, Drink this cup, for it is my blood my blood of the new covenant. Indeed, the Apostle Paul builds on these things as he writes to the church in Corinth. We looked at this in 1 Corinthians 10 at the text that I read earlier. There, Paul, speaking to his Corinthian readers, puts it very bluntly. He says to them, speaking of their practice of the Lord's Supper and what it means, he says, this cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? This bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? The Greek word that Paul is using there, that is translated participation, is the word koinonia, which also can be translated as communion or union. What Paul is saying to the Corinthians and to us is that When they and we partake of the Lord's Supper, they are communing with Christ himself. When they drink of the cup of blessing, they are communing with Christ's blood. When they eat the broken bread, they are communing with his body. According to Calvin, what Paul means by these words is that the koinonia, or communion of the blood, is the alliance, the union, which we have with the blood of Christ, or the body of Christ when he engrafts all of us into his body so that Christ may live in us and we in him. In other words, Paul is saying that when we partake of the bread and wine, we are communing with Christ's own body and blood. We are being drawn deeper and deeper into union with Jesus himself. And this, in very summary form, is what we believe in our church and in our denomination. This is what we believe the scriptures teach regarding this sacrament. Now, I know that maybe for some of you, I've introduced more questions than I've answered this morning, and that's okay. I'd be more than happy to talk to you about these things. And indeed, we will talk about them in the weeks ahead. But as we close this morning, I just want to make one simple application of what I've said. What difference, really, does this view of the Lord's Supper make as we partake of it each week? I mean, there are a million things we could talk about in that regard. But I just want to say this to close. Beloved, I know... um, because we're human beings, our minds often wander, even when we're in church, even when we're doing something as holy and sacred as the Lord's Supper. And as that happens to you, you might be tempted at times to think, you know, am I doing this right? Am I doing this sacrament the way it's supposed to be done? You might wonder, am I thinking the right thoughts? Am I feeling the right amount of soberness and joy and gratitude and gratitude? and solemnity and all those things together at once. Am I feeling grateful in a way that I should? Have I actually confessed everything, all my sins? What if my mind starts to go somewhere else, even while we're doing the sacrament together? What if I do the Lord's Supper wrong? Am I going to miss something? If you've struggled with that, friends if those are thoughts you've ever wrestled with as you think about your participation in this sacrament, I just want to say this. Beloved, don't be afraid. You can stop worrying about those things if they trouble you, those questions. You can stop worrying about whether you're doing the Lord's Supper the right way because the Lord's Supper is not something that you do it is not something that you do. No, the Lord's Supper is a gift that your Heavenly Father gives to you because He loves you and because He wants you to live and not die. And so He gives you the source of life, His Son, by His Holy Spirit. In a few minutes, we'll partake of this meal, and in this sacrament, As we partake of it, God is feeding you with his own self. The living Christ is offering himself to you that you might sup on him. And he's not doing this, friend, because you deserve it, because you've somehow aligned yourself in the right way. He's doing it not because you've done a perfect job of confessing all your many, many sins, because trust me, you haven't confessed them all. You can't. Jesus is giving himself to you in this bread and in this wine for no other reason than this, because you are his beloved. And he has rescued you from sin and death, and he desires to commune with you so that he might, even more than he is right now, become flesh of your flesh and bone of your bone. Friend, Jesus gives you the Lord's Supper each week as a gift. He gives it to you week after week after week after week so that over time you might learn who he is. Over time you might be able to say fully and freely the truth of these words. My beloved brought me to his banqueting house And his banner over me is love. Friends, the Lord's Supper is not something you do for God. It is always, always something he does for you. And for no other reason than that he loves you. In the Supper, God graciously gives you nothing more and nothing less than his very own self, his very own life. Our Lord Jesus, even today, promises by the power of the Spirit to give himself to you in this body and in his blood, in this sacrament. And it is difficult to imagine a more vivid experience of his grace and mercy than this. Psalm 81, that psalm we heard earlier, says, Open your mouth wide. This is the Lord speaking. Open your mouth wide, O Israel, and I will fill it. For I would feed you with the finest of wheat, and with honey from the rock. This is what the Lord does for us. He feeds us. And he actually feeds us with his very self. So whatever you do, beloved, as you take the sacrament, don't turn the supper into some kind of performance or something you do for God. Just be at peace. Just be at peace. Because here, Jesus Christ, the true servant, serves you and gives you that thing which is behind every hunger, every desire you have ever had or felt, which is his own very self. And so with the Apostle Paul we say, this cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Yes, friends, it is. And this bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Yes, beloved, it is. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Indeed, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of this sacrament and this meal, this means by which your Son gives us his life, gives us his own body and blood, that we might feed upon him through the power of his Holy Spirit. Grant us this grace again this morning, Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.